0: Hi everyone, it's EB1. This week's episode is going to be the audio from our Reproductive Rights Now panel discussion. Our panelists were Tony Van Pelt, President of the National Organization for Women, Sarah Love, former General Counsel and Legal Director of NARAL Pro-Choice America and Policy Director of the ACLU of Maryland, and Chelsea Yarbrough, Programs Manager at NARAL Pro-Choice Maryland. Before we get to that, though, we have a Woman of the Week to talk about. This week's Woman of the Week is Anarka. She was one of the enslaved women experimented on by Dr. James Marion Sims, who is considered to be the father of modern gynecology. Anarka and some of the other women he worked on are starting to be rightfully recognized as the mothers of modern gynecology. We've talked before in the podcast about the racism within American medical history an anarchist story is an example of that. From 1845 to 1849, Dr. Sims conducted experiments on enslaved women. The experiments were to help fix a condition where an opening developed between the vagina and bladder, or the vagina and rectum, usually due to childbirth. There was no cure for this condition, so he was trying to find a way to repair the openings. He claimed that the enslaved women he operated on wanted to be cured of this condition, but of course we don't know whether that's actually true or if a slave could truly give consent to something like that, even if she said she wanted it, if it was something a slave owner was pressuring her to do as they needed her to reproduce future slaves. In his autobiography, Sims wrote that he made a, quote, proposition to owners of Negroes. If you will give me Anarka and Betsy for the experiment, I agree to perform no experiment or operation on either of them to endanger their lives and will not charge a cent for keeping them. But you must pay their taxes and clothe them. I will keep them at my own expense. Anarka was about 17 years old when she was first experimented on. She developed the opening condition after a particularly hard delivery. She had 30, yes 30, surgeries performed on her by Dr. Sims. It wasn't until the 30th surgery that Dr. Sims successfully perfected the technique he was working on. All the surgeries performed on her and on the other enslaved and black women he operated on were done so without anesthesia. The procedure was extremely painful, obviously. It is said there had to be two additional men there just to hold the women down during the procedure. The ridiculous thought of the day was that black people didn't feel the same levels of pain as white people. So why bother trying to mask the pain they didn't believe existed? Out of the other women Dr. Sims operated on, only two others were named. Their names were Lucy and Betsy. Betsy was referenced earlier in, uh... A quote from his autobiography. Uh, There are three statues honoring Dr. Sims around the country. You may have heard about them in the news over the past few months as people have been protesting to get them taken down because of the racist history. I say we should replace those statues with statues of Anarka and the other black women Dr. Sims operated on. As we said before, medical advances in this country sometimes come at the expense of people of color. This is obviously one of... Many cases um, where stuff like this has happened. Um, But tonight we want to thank Anarka, Lucy, Betsy, and all the other women operated on by Dr. Sims. Obviously, this is a reproductive rights theme episode, um, so we appreciate um, the sacrifice that they did to advance modern gynecology. And uh, all right, here now is our reproductive rights panel discussion.
1: I was just going to read you the um, paragraph from National Organization for Women on reproductive rights and justice, um, and then we'll introduce our panelists and have them tell you a little bit about themselves. Um, I just mentioned to them before that the last panel we had, there was a still of me with my mouth wide open, not looking very professional, kind of in shock and absor- totally absorbed in listening to what the panelists were saying. So, um, and I'm, this panel is amazing, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of that face. Um, reproductive rights and justice now affirms that reproductive rights are issues of life and death for women, not mere matters of choice. Now fully supports access to safe and legal abortion, to effective birth control and emergency contraception, to reproductive health services and education for all women. We oppose attempts to restrict these rights through legislation, regulation, or constitutional amendment. Um, so, would you guys mind just going right through and, and telling us who you are and what you do? Yeah. Hi, everyone.
2: My name is Chelsea Yarbrough. I'm the new programs manager for NARAB Pro Choice Maryland. Um, we are a state-based reproductive rights, health, and justice policy organization uh, working out of Silver Spring.
3: And I'm Tony Van Pelt, and I'm the president of the National Organization for Women. And uh, we're housed here in Washington, D.C. We're the largest longest lived women's organization in the united states and maybe in the whole wide world
4: <laughs> <laughs> and my name is sarah love i am the past general counsel of neral pro-choice america and the past public policy director for the aclu of maryland and currently i'm a candidate for delegate in district 16.
0: yeah we um also have some other candidates here um just so everyone's <clears throat> aware if you want to stand up just say your name and what you're running for you can I'm going to
5: start with Samir. Hey, folks, my name is Samir Paul. I'm a public school teacher at Blair High School in Silver Spring, and I'm also running for a delegate in uh, District 16, Bethesda, and Potomac. Thanks for having
6: me. Okay, Uh, I'm Roger Mano. I'm a state senator in Montgomery County, going on eight years. I was in the House for four years. Before that, I'm running for the 6th Congressional District, which is Congressman Delaney's open seat. And I authored the first bill in America to require. so called crisis, uh, uh, crisis pregnancy centers to, uh, to, to disclaim that they're not healthcare providers. Oh, okay. yeah. That's a long
7: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm Jennifer Hosey. I'm uh, the Democratic Central Committee of Montgomery County and uh, the governing body of the Democratic Party um, here in Montgomery County. And at this point, I'm still deciding whether to run for the election or something higher. Okay. <laughs>
0: all right so we're gonna start with the questions um our first question is for tony um, <laughs> we know that now we'll be fighting to protect Rover wade on the national level but we live in a county where we are lucky enough to be fairly well protected by our elected officials besides remaining vigilant and keeping up the pressure on abortion rights what can people in our county do to help
3: well The most important thing that you can do to help is to reach out to others in uh, red states and uh, your families and your friends and to engage them in conversation because you are in a protected area. Not only are you in a protected area, but you're really inside the Beltway. So you have access to information and knowledge much sooner than people outside the Beltway does. And so to disseminate that information would be a really good thing. The other thing is, of course, you can... um, Actively work on the federal level you can uh, and I know you know this but you can work to like support really good legislation Which is in this time and place not Probably you're not going to be needed to do that (laughs) But to oppose really bad legislation and just one thing that I want to talk about That's kind of off just quickly off topic not on topic is that there is a bill that's uh, coming up for a vote uh, in the house next week perhaps and it's H.R. 4219, 4219. So uh, it's called the Work Flex in the 21st Century Act, which is, of course, a misnone- misnomer because that's how they function. <laughs> and they would uh, stop and do away with state and local laws that are liberal. And in particular, this bill attacks uh, paid sick leave mm-hmm. and, uh, and other issues. So there are like... Uh, with local and state laws in place on paid sick leave there are like 13 million working people have gained access to paid sick leave and if they there are and and even with that nearly one-third of the private factor workforce or at least 37 million workers today do not currently have the right to earn sick pay so um this is something that you can start on right away And your listeners can uh, start calling and saying your House representatives don't. don't The
7: number
3: number is uh, House Bill H R forty two one 4219. And And all all, uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that the other thing that's really egregious about this is that you know lawyers employees can say can decide at the last minute that you have to come into work. Um, on very short notice, like a couple of hours, and then they can cancel you on the last minute, um, which is really, really a horrible thing to happen. And this bill expands that also. So it's a bad bill.
4: Just um, following on what Tony said, um, don't forget about your state and local folks. I mean, Roger and I can talk. It's really important to let your legislators know there are bills that we have had to fight against every year attacking reproductive rights. Yes, we are a pro-choice state. Yes, we have very good legislators in Annapolis. And yes, they need to know that you're behind them, hopefully us. (laughs) Um, But it's it's really important still to let them know and to let everybody else in the state of Maryland know, we're a very purple state. There are some areas on the Eastern Shore and Western Maryland that vote anti-choice all the time. If you know people out there, get them to call their senators and delegates. So don't let go of that. That's also really, really important. Thank
1: you. Uh, I another question for you, Jenny. Oh, you do. I do. Okay. <laughs> uh, so while we would never suggest that anyone seed ground on women's rights, I want to make that very clear, um, we likely all know somebody who we want to talk to about this, as you were saying, people in red states, people who um think maybe differently than we are who disagree with us for personal reasons for religious reasons how can we be persuasive when we try to make this argument to somebody about getting on our side of reproductive rights even if they can't get to all of it how can we get them to our side in terms of voting in a way that protects reproductive rights
3: i really think that when we talk about this when the when people who are opposed what they talk about are babies um no matter you know where we're at in a pregnancy they're all babies for them so i think it's really important for us to remind people that women are the ones that become pregnant and to talk about women and i think that if you can move the conversation to talking about adult women self-autonomy what they do to help you know to help out their families and um I think that that could be an important way that you might be able to attack it. You can try that just by shifting them over. I have stood up in meetings, conferences, where there, there was a panel and somebody kept talking about babies and you know being anti-choice. And I, my question to, to this man was, are you aware of the fact a woman is involved in the pregnancy? Yeah. I think that's so often that that's just not brought up.
4: Right. And along those lines, reminding people that it's you know the question of who decides that it should be the woman who decides whether and in consultation with whomever she chooses mm-hmm. I have talked to a number of people who say you know well I would never have an abortion but it's not my job to decide for someone else I said then you're pro-choice mm-hmm. yeah because it's not your job you're letting the woman decide and the look on their face is oh I never thought about it that way <laughs> so yes reminding them that the woman is involved and then WHO SHOULD MAKE THAT DECISION, THE GOVERNMENT OR THE WOMAN?
7: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, JUST FOR ALL OF YOU, JUST AS FOLLOW UP TO THAT, DO YOU THINK THAT THERE IS A a PLACE FOR AN ARGUMENT WITH PEOPLE THAT LEAVES OUT, NOT, not, IS NOT PROUD OF BEING PRO-CHOICE, BUT LEAVES THAT PART OUT OF THE ARGUMENT AND TALKS ABOUT BIRTH CONTROL AND OTHER THINGS LEADING UP TO REPRODUCTIVE RIGHTS AND TRYING TO, you know you agree you agree with me 75 percent here it's that last quarter can you you know just to try and sway people's because i don't know I, I feel like there are some people in this country who are never going to convince on abortion but you might be able to convince them on enough other things that you could possibly affect the vote which is what we care about right is that the, yeah. act, the mm-hmm. end the end product and
7: mm-hmm. the
1: vote i mean i don't know if that's you're, you're smarter than I am on that. That's why I'm asking you. We <laughs> all have a lot of knowledge.
2: Um, I'm trying to, um, so what I think I heard you saying was how how do we communicate with people who may agree with a lot of it but may not necessarily agree with like one particular part of it? Yeah. That's all right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think... I guess this is something that I've just learned being an organizer is that you can't um, you can't win everybody. Yeah. And there I have to I'm more effective winning the people that I know that I can win rather than trying to reach people who may never agree with what I'm saying. Um, so if I can move you seventy-five percent to saying that birth control is effective and is something that should be protected or access to clinics that are actually health clinics mm-hmm. are something that is effective. Um, what's to say that I can't move you forward even more And talking about abortion if we just word it the right, the right way and if I'm actually meeting you where you at and I'm pushing you forward and forward, you know what I mean? Rather than going straight to um, people who may be anti-choice or who may not have thought about it in this way and, Talking to them about abortion because that just is not going to work. Yeah. Um. So being um cognizant of like where my energy is being used best and how I can actually move people forward and give them actionable steps that will move them forward.
3: Yeah. Like prenatal care. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Yeah. You can talk about you know when you're talking about the clinics and and why they're so important is to talk about you know what's what's best for the baby, if that's what they want to talk about, yeah. mm-hmm. prenatal care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really important also for the women.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, do you have anything to add? Good. <laughs> I'm good. Okay, okay. all right. Um, our next question is for Chelsea. Um, can you give us an overview of women in jails and prisons in the state of Maryland? Um, just like numbers, demographics, um, numbers by type of offense, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So just for context, Pro Choice Maryland, has recently um, convened a coalition called Reproductive Justice Inside, and it's focused on looking at what happens to people who are in the care, custody, and control of the Maryland correctional facilities with regard to their reproductive health care. Um, so investigating are people having are do people have access to prenatal care inside? Are there birth plans? Um, are people able to access abortion inside? What does birth control look like for women inside of Maryland state prisons? Um, things like that. And so. As As far back as April 2014, which is when the most recent data that we have um, came out, there were about 941 women total. Um, in Maryland state prisons, um, 70.9% of those women were black and 20.9% of them were white, um, which I don't have to tell you is systemic um. racism. <laughs> um, and then about 0.3% were either American Indian or Asian women. Um, nationally, in local jails, there are about 96,000 women in local jails, and in state prisons, there are about 99,000. Um, 60% of women in jail have not been tried for an offense. They have not been convicted of a crime. They are being held because they cannot pay bail. They are being held because they can't buy their freedom from prison, which is what cash bail is. Um, Can you repeat that percentage? Uh, 60% of women are in jail because they, cannot, they have not been convicted of a crime. They have not been brought up on any charges. They just cannot pay the bail. Um, and about one in five uh, people have been locked up for a nonviolent drug offense. So I know many of us have experience with the new Jim Crow and we know that the US is the largest mass incarcerator um, in the country of developed nations. And a lot of that is either you can't afford to pay bail to be let out of jail or you're in jail for a nonviolent drug offense, such as possessing marijuana or some other drug that is not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I guess cocaine in that sense. Um,
4: so, yeah. Yeah, I can can I just jump in yeah, on that? Yeah. Um Maryland actually has worked very hard on a couple of those things. We de- decriminalized marijuana mm-hmm. uh, mar- cannabis, excuse me, a couple of years ago, small amounts personal use of cannabis, mm-hmm. which has mm-hmm. gone and it's largely in because in Um, because of the racial injustice Mm -hmm. and national ACLU did a report nationwide Maryland ACLU did a Maryland specific report Mm -hmm. on the disparities in arrests Mm -hmm. and because of that we have um, decriminalized small amounts of marijuana Mm -hmm. we also um, I think in 2015, Roger banned the shackling of pregnant women. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was f- very exciting. Yeah. But there's still a lot more that needs to be done mm-hmm. for women who are inside and when they come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: So can you explain a little bit about what happens um, if a woman... Uh, or to either become pregnant while incarcerated or just before she's incarcerated? Mm -hmm. um, What's the process like while she's in jail or prison?
2: So it really depends on the facility that you're in and then the area of the state that you're in. So Montgomery County does have like what to expect when you're expecting um, for people who have been, uh, or for people who are pregnant in prison. Um, But if you go to a different county, like Hartford County, that might not exist. Um, And a lot of, a lot of prisons now, just in Maryland, outsource that type of care. So you'll, you'll call the prison and ask them who is the person that handles uh, like prenatal care. And they'll say, we don't have a policy for that. You need to call these people because they have the policy for that because they're outsourcing the reproductive health care to a third party provider. Um, sometimes that provider doesn't have to give you the policy or not. It's They can just be like, we have a policy on the books. And it's like, okay, but what is it like? <laughs> um, and that really varies um, where you go. Um, Yeah, so there are a lot of, you said when people are pregnant inside, Mm -hmm. yeah, so there's also um, transfer set up at like different local hospitals, so A lot of uh, prisons were transferring uh, people to Mercy Hospital, but I think now most people go to um, University of Maryland College Park's Hospital instead of Mercy. Um, There is no shackling, but like as uh, Sarah said, there's still a lot of issues with that law because there's no way for us to be able to tell whether people are doing it or not because there's no reporting mechanism for prisons to do it or not. So you can ask them for the data, um, and they're supposed to have this data, but there's no enforcement for them to actually do it, and there's no one actually um, keeping them beholden to that standard
3: well if i can just jump in yes, on the fe- on the federal level uh, is um senator booker and others have introduced the uh, women in prison dignity law mm-hmm. and um, so that is one thing that everybody can be working on is getting more sponsors for that <laughs> and to calling your really wonderful oops some maryland legislators and asking them to take lead on it and to co-sponsor it but to bring it up we know in the current situation it's probably not going to go anywhere but we need to get our ducks in a row so that if we win big in 2018 which we plan on we doing, Yes, that we're going to have things queued up and ready to go and it has the support and this is really important and i'm sure that you've heard about and i don't know if your listeners have what women have to go through just when they have their period yes. just to get a tampon or a mm-hmm. pad and and how they're sexually assaulted and, and those kinds of things in prison. So this is a really important bill that we all need to get behind.
7: Mm-hmm.
3: And we have handouts on your chair, mm-hmm. and in your handouts are these bills that I'm talking about with all of the pertinent information. Thank you for bringing those. Yeah. We have a wonderful stop at that our Yes, you too.
1: <laughs> Charming too. Um, since you brought up um, periods in do you mind talking just about yeah. what you guys are doing? Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. Um, so, at the Maryland uh, Correctional Institution for Women, uh, it was discovered that they were having issues with getting pads delivered to the facility on time to meet the demand. So there were some folks who had access to pads in one part of the jail and then in another part of the jail people didn't have access to pads. Um, so the warden, Warden Chippendale, asked us as an organization, as a coalition, to start doing a, um, a pad drive, a sanitary napkin drive, to help meet the demand. Um, that they are not able to meet at the prison. So we currently have two drop-off sites. One is located at our office in Silver Spring, and the other one is located at the NAACP of Baltimore. Um, You can either donate online, and the money that you donate online, we then take to um, Amazon Prime, pass to our office, and then we drop them off. Or you can go buy your own and drop them off at um, our office or the office in uh, Baltimore. Um, and it's it's really ridiculous that we have to like have to do these things, you know. I see everyone like what's yeah. I agree with you. The state should fill that need. <laughs> like you're a ward of the state. The ward, the state should fill that need. Um, but I think that's something that's really important for people to see to really highlight the ridiculousness of why we're why we're warehousing people in places where the basic supplies that you need not only to survive but to like thrive to have a quality of life are either not making it to you at best or being denied to you at worst.
1: Yeah. And if you come to any one of our meetings or events and want to give pads to us, we'll be happy to get them to the also. Is there any partnership with Kimberly
0: Clark or
8: anybody
7: who makes those products?
2: Does anybody approach? I, not that I'm aware of. Um, we just started this, I think, in about September. So nothing has really progressed further than our office.
3: That's
0: a great yeah, idea.
4: Yeah, a great partnership. Yeah. And a great yeah. Cost
0: and a connection. yeah. That's a great idea. All right. Um, our next question is for you, Sarah. Um, as former legal director for NARAL Pro Choice America and policy director for the ACLU of Maryland, can you explain why access to the full range of reproductive rights and care is a civil rights
4: issue? Sure. Um, my answer is twofold one is the, the constitutional answer. Um, it started pretty much with a case called Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965. And that was a case about access to contraception by married couples. And in that case, the Supreme Court said, there's a zone of privacy around the decision of childbearing for married couples. And that zone of privacy is not explicit in the Constitution, but implicit in the Constitution. And so bans on contraception are unconstitutional. That was taken a step further in 1967 by Eisenstadt versus Baird and extended to unmarried couples. Then we get to 1973 and the court extends that to the right to abortion. So you've got that constitutional underpinning as to why it is a civil rights, civil liberty. And then at a the very basic level, if a woman can't control her reproduction, then there's so little that she can actually control. Mm. Anything from education, to career, to housing, I mean, all of these basic life um, decisions, you know, life amenities, anything you want to call it, um, are affected by your ability to control your body and whether and when to have children. Yeah.
1: Uh, so- We wanted to ask you, Chelsea, about um, incarcerated women, what rights they, what what protections exist for them in terms Mm -hmm. of reproductive health and healthcare Mm -hmm. and what they lack that we could be making noise Mm -hmm. about or should be making noise about.
2: Um, So, in Maryland, the uh, Maryland Committee on Correctional Standards and the Code of Maryland Regulations uh, mandates those protections, but like we were talking about with the shackling bill, are these things enforced, right, so are there enforcement mechanisms to ensure that people aren't being shackled while they're giving uh, birth? Um, There are also advocates, um, like third-party advocates, who can then go and check on people inside. So if you're getting um, complaints from someone that you might know inside who is saying, you know, I'm not getting my medication, or they're denying me an abortion, they're saying that I can't have X, Y, and Z, those people are then able to go to the prison and do wellness checks to make sure that people can get the things that they need. So there are mechanisms that folks can use to be uh, sure that the people that they know inside um, are getting the things that they need, but again, it comes down to: Are there enforcement arms for a lot of these legislations, and like, what do they look like?
1: Okay, is there a way for us to put pressure for there to be better? you're, yeah. not, you're all nodding at me. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah we're exactly. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me those things, please. Oh um, yeah, I
2: think um, I think it's really important to mount pressure on people. Um, yeah especially in terms of like if something has like just happened recently in the news, so I'm, I'm sure people know about the woman who died at MCIW a couple of weeks ago, um, mounting pressure on um, legislators to be like, a person has died in the care of um, Maryland State <laughs> Correctional Facilities. Yeah. What are we doing to ensure that people who are expressing that they're suffering from mental health issues are getting the care that they need inside, so we don't have people just killing themselves inside because they can't access the things that they need. Um, How are we making sure that people aren't being shackled while they're giving birth? Because there is a law in place that says that this can't happen and if you know of someone who has had that happen to them like we have been doing listening tours around the state and we've heard things like this from people like I was shackled while I was giving birth or other, other really egregious stories of things that people just cannot do but people are doing them to these women because they're in prison and they know that people won't check up on these women um, but making sure that people know, um, legislators know specifically that there are people outside of the prison who are watching, who are hearing about these things and who want things to be done about them through the legislative process. Right.
3: May I ask a question? Is, is, in the state of Maryland, is it a, is it privatized the prison no. system? Mm-hmm. so They're it's not. Oh,
4: okay. Mm-hmm. It's good that way.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. I come from a state where it is yeah. privatized. Yeah. It's horrible.
4: And following up on what Chelsea said, now and NAREL and ACLU and a number mm-hmm. of other organizations follow all of these bills that affect anyone who's inside, Mm -hmm. including women. Um, ACLU and and NOW and NARAL also have a prisoner's rights coalition with Mm -hmm. a bunch of interfaith groups and a lot of other groups. Mm -hmm. And they let people know what bills are pending before the legislature. Mm -hmm. So what bills might be affecting women who are incarcerated. So again, let your legislators know, your senators and delegates, how you feel about these bills and let them know, let Mm -hmm. them hear your voice because it really matters. Mm Um, Okay. Sorry.
1: Lost my place. Sarah, I have a question for you next.
7: Sure.
1: Uh, There are fake clinics and crisis pregnancy centers all over the country, including Maryland and Montgomery County. Um, Can you talk about the work you've done to expose places like those, and can you let us know how we can continue to expose them for the anti-choice and predatory organizations that they are?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I started doing this in college mm-hmm. with um, my pro-choice group in college. We started going around and finding these um, fake clinics mm-hmm. and then letting other people know, other you know college students know, hey, don't go there because they don't give you the full range of reproductive options. It is just a place to go that will push you into having this child. And then, oh, by the way, they won't support you afterwards. Mm-hmm um and then at NAREL we worked on that feminist majority Mm -hmm. has a big project to expose these places Mm -hmm. um i think the the best thing that we can do is use all of the social media all of the mechanisms that we have if you run into one of these organizations let people know make sure that people are aware that this is not something that offers a full range of options to women who are pregnant um and then There are a number of other organizations that are out there that um, have lists of these organizations. Ann Rose used to have one, I don't know Mm -hmm. if she still does online. Mm -hmm. Um, Making sure to add to those Mm -hmm. and see what else is out there in terms of information sharing that's out there Mm because really getting that information out there is the most important thing Mm -hmm. and then highlighting it so people know
2: can i follow up on that yeah so we actually have um, a microsite dedicated explicitly to exposing uh crisis pregnancy centers in the state of maryland it's called www.itslies.org we're actually releasing a report on the study that we did um, of about 45 crisis pregnancy centers in the state to really get like what are their tactics how where they've located um what do they offer when you go behind the doors of the CPC? Who's working there? Um, so all of those findings will be released on Tuesday, um, mm-hmm. and then there's also a map of all of the crisis pregnancy centers in the state of Maryland. And I think the other right. helpful thing, I yeah, guess. that people I didn't realize this until I started working on this project is that some of them are networked through different um, groups like Heartbeat International. Mm-hmm. So that's another way to find out um, because they're very innocuously named, right? Like Um, women's like choice or Mm -hmm. um, women's support or pregnant crisis pregnancy center is like a very innocuous name but if you're able to figure out maybe if this is a heartbeat international place you can figure out um, how they're linked and really see like what it is that they're doing in that way
4: that's a
1: great resource Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah cool
3: Yeah, you could protest in front of them if you're in a protest kind of mood. (laughs) Everyone's
1: in a protest kind of mood these days, uh, (laughs) Holding those signs
3: up out there and take a a leaf out of their book, except not being so crazy.
0: (laughs) So, uh, Tony, you touched a little bit about um, some of the legislation that now is focused on. Um, Can you uh, go into more detail about legislation now focusing on with regard to reproductive justice? Um, and how people can get involved in NOW's efforts in regards to those, le- that, those pieces of legislation?
3: Well, the, the big thing that you can do is um, go to our website, now.org. We have our national action campaigns um, that are um, up there, and they, we actually have listed action plans, and in the handouts that you have, we have outlined an action plan of how you can take action on particular bills, Um, whichever bills that you want to this is to find out who your representatives and your senators are find out what their schedules are select your member make an appointment select legislation review it do some research on it Um, plan for an ask so that when you go in you know what you want to ask um, your representative to do make the visit and then report back to us on it Um, but again we have a, a list of of bills uh, that we put on your seats. So, um, and this is a—it's critical right now. This is the best time to do this because the 2018 elections are coming up, and so many people are out. So, attend your candidates' forums, ask these questions on the spot, demand that they answer you. Because people, as you can see from this room, candidates show up at meetings, mm-hmm. whatever the meetings are, and and hold candidates' forums yourself. Just invite everybody that's running for the same office together at the table on every side of the aisle mm-hmm. so that you have everybody in the room if you know if they will show up. And then you can really ask good questions then. Um, and again, if, the, if it's somebody that's friendly that you know that you're going to vote for, the important thing for us is there are a number of elected mm-hmm. officials that we count on for a yes vote and we know that they're gonna be reliable for the yes vote. Mm -hmm. But what we have found out is that's all they'll do, Mm -hmm. and they wait till the very last minute. So we really need our representatives to be representing us, and that means taking the lead on good legislation and also taking the lead on on trying to do away with bad legislation. There's a thing that's in the Congress that's called the Dear Colleague Letter. Uh, So your representative could be Composing a dear colleague letter saying this is why we want to support this legislation or this is why we don't and get them to sign on Or they could be writing letters to the FDA or whoever it is in the regulatory body and have congressional members actually sign on That's one way that they can take action and take the lead for us And so we also of course want them to co-sponsor bills because so many of them they may be a yes bill but a, a yes vote but if you go back and you look They didn't ever sponsor the bill. They never co sponsored it. We want their name on the legislation.
1: Yeah, that's a
3: good point. Was that the answer?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was a great (laughs) answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Next question is for Sarah. Uh, Despite there being buffer zones around clinics, um, Chelsea, you can also touch on this a bit. Uh, Patients, doctors, and staff face verbal and sometimes physical abuse. What can we do to improve the experiences of those accessing clinics here in Montgomery County in Maryland?
4: Um, there are a lot of different things people can do. Uh, one of the best things to do is escorting. Um, when I escorted long ago, we had a number of women surround the patient and we would just talk to her as we were going in and we would sort of prattle on about nothing so that she could tune into us and tune out all of the people that were shouting ugly things at her. Mm -hmm. So helping her have a safe place, a safe space to get through the protesters, and to know that there are people there for her who care with her. Obviously you have to work that out with the clinic, but there are so many great Mm -hmm. organizations that do escorting and Mm -hmm. I highly encourage people to do that. It's a really Mm -hmm. helpful thing for women. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing to do is either with NOW or NARAL or some of the other organizations, Find out what clinics are being hit hard. One of the things that is so insidious that a lot of people don't know is that anti-choice people will go after the FedEx mm-hmm. people who deliver to the, the plumbers, clinic. They'll go after the landlords. The They'll people. go after the mail yeah. carriers. They'll go after you know the flower delivery person. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody who serves that clinic in any way, shape, or form. So be that counter voice send an email to that landlord, hey, thank you for -hmm. standing up for women's rights. Mm -hmm. Thank you for supporting access to the full range of healthcare for women. Mm -hmm. So being out there and being that counter voice, that support, and I I don't know if it was, now, or NARAL, I'm sorry, but did a, uh, I think it was NARAL, actually. Just NARAL, the letter yeah. to the uh, letter. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The letter, letter to, to the well, um, wrote, uh, uh, landlords. So, yeah.
2: Go ahead. We wrote a letter to um, the Carhartts, who um, <gasps> our folks know, yeah. So they moved into their new facility, and they're being hit really hard. Um, so we, uh, like, internet sourced, like, a little greeting card of, like, just thanks for all the things that you do. And I think that's also something, like, in terms of just, like, the things I've done over my... Very short span career, <laughs> but my career. Um, like when I used to work at the Feminist Majority Foundation, we asked students to um, write letters to the clinic owners, like write them cards, maybe send them donuts, like drop off some muffins or something, just to like show them that they are appreciated in the community. Because abortion providers get hit really hard and in very, very horrible ways. Uh, there's like no privacy for you. You're being exposed constantly online, um, in person. Um, there are people threatening to kill you. Um, so just making sure that people know that their presence is seen and appreciated as something that I think can really um, turn the
3: tide of that harassment um, for folks and not be so heavy for them. I think that's really great. And you can support fundraisers. I just went to a fundraiser mm-hmm for Mm -hmm. them uh, at the Black Cat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, -hmm. yeah. it was fabulous. It was like so much fun because it was a big (laughs) comedy show and it was great. And he was there. Yeah. Yeah, the family was there and it was great to meet them in person and to offer that kind of support financially.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they
0: need that too. So you were talking a bit about harassment and um, safety for people who work there. What, um, following up on the last question, what can we do to prevent protesters from harassing people aside from, is there anything we can do aside from escorting and being a literal buffer around those people?
2: Um, I I would say let the clinic lead you and some I think Mm -hmm. because protesters aren't really a thing that happens out here. People are, like, now more incensed that the people are protesting with their wild signs. So it's, like, one, it's a good thing because people actually know where the actual clinic is because they're like, okay, it's not where these people are with these, like, ridiculous 10-foot signs. I'm going to go to this other place. And then it also makes the the constituents of the area really pissed off. So they call their legislators and they're like, did you know these people were down here? Did you know that they were out here doing this? Yeah, so it's, like their desired effect it's not the way here at least it's not the way how it is in the south right where people are protesting and like I don't, i'm not sure if people are following what's been happening in charlotte but um, a preferred woman's choice in charlotte has been getting hit for the past year with really horrible protesters um the government is like not making it any easier for them to uh, keep their clinic protected um, the clinic owner has been harassed um, in many many different ways um, but it's not like that it is here how it is here because it's it's not something that people are used to as much. So I think that that's a really great thing that can, like, backfire on them, is that they think that they're exposing these abortion providers, they think they're, like, ruining someone's day when, like, really a constituent is getting really pissed off and, like, calling their legislator or, like, figuring out some different way to, like, organize to make sure that this thing doesn't happen. Um, Was that Charlotte, South
8: Carolina?
2: North Carolina.
3: Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing that you can, two things, that the the Catholic bishops... And um, Operation Rescue and, and all the rest of them, they have these like 40 days of mm-hmm. protests kind of things. And so um, what we do, our NOW chapters do in Florida is when they're targeting a city like Orlando or somewhere in Florida, we travel there also. Mm-hmm. So we call on our activists from around the state and we come in for those, that same period of time. And we're at the clinics and we make sure all the clinics are staffed up with people And we do press conferences and, you know, just point out what's going on. So that's another way that, you know, when they've got these really horrific campaigns going on, that if you can bring all your folks into town, that's Mm -hmm. a very good thing. Mm -hmm. And buffer zones have really have made a big difference, though. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I I need to shout out to two women who are sitting in here who escort at the clinics, who are in our chapter and (laughs) leaders of our chapter.
8: (laughs) Oh, uh, I... Yesterday I was escorting. Uh, I want to give a plug to the Washington area clinic defense task force. They have organized and trained escorts uh, for regional clinics for decades. Uh, I started with them 20 years ago when I moved here. I don't escort much anymore, as much as I would like to. But there are a lot less clinics even around here than there
3: were
8: 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, Planned Parenthood. Uh, for, I guess, lots of reasons people don't really know, but Planned Parenthood just built a big facility in D.C. Mm-hmm. and that's always been the big focus. I mean, they get 20, 40 people on Saturdays and some during the week protesting. So uh, that's the big focus to get. And of course, Carhartt, but now I understand his where he's moved in is into an office park, so mm-hmm. they can't come on the property, mm-hmm. so that provides the buffer.
3: Oh, that's wonderful. Uh-huh. Right.
7: And I'm a Dan.
8: clinic escort in Rockville, yeah. and uh, I'll be there
5: next Saturday. It's supposed to get cold, too. Um, but if anybody wants to talk to me about that, and I, I have told people in the past, if you want to just come out and hang with us, you know, we, we just talk. And, mm-hmm. and that keeps the protesters at bay. Uh, mm-hmm. They do have the signs. Um, but um, if you want to come see what it's like,
8: know where to go. I escorted it. it at, uh, Greenbelt uh, has a, mm-hmm. a doctor's office that does abortions uh, over past College Park, of uh, the university, so uh, PG County, but because um, I live in Tacoma Park, so a couple places around I've been
1: Thank you both for doing that. Um, Chelsea, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. legislation is NARAL working on uh, to help incarcerated women in Maryland, and how can we help mm-hmm. support the legislation?
2: So I'm not yet at liberty to share well, our okay. legislative priorities, but we do have them, so in, <laughs> talk to me in 2018. Okay.
1: <laughs> we, heard, we heard a couple at MLaw, I mm-hmm. feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so how can people get involved in Narol in general if they want to help them?
2: Um, so you can email me. We, have all, we always have volunteer opportunities um, to come out and talk about the things that we're doing at different community festivals or to get involved in the campaigns that we're working on. Um, so you can talk to me. Um, you can also help us out with our um, pad drive by spreading the word um you can like <laughs> our page on facebook which for our reproductive justice inside coalition and also for NARAL pro choice maryland to stay up to date with all of the things that we're doing um visit our websites share our microsites and all of our different educational campaigns that are also listed on our websites as well
1: okay and then um in terms of helping incarcerated women besides like are there other like organizations that, mm-hmm. that you guys work with that women can or yeah not women, um, county members can look into?
2: Yeah, so in terms of the, the bail piece of the conversation, there are a lot of different um, groups that are working on um, ending cash bail, Just not nationally but also um, within states as well Um, so I actually know folks um, in DC and Maryland who have been um, bailing black mothers out of prison Mm -hmm. um, and they are always looking for more support so either through um, someone like a social worker who can donate some time pro bono for folks or people who can just donate money to be able to ensure that these women can still come home like those are other organizations that you can be involved with as well
1: I think I gave that to my mom for Mother's Day last year like, I, I gave money to bail a mom That's out awesome. Like, so, but, I mean, it was my, I wish I could say it was my idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dur- like, Duray McKesson told me to. Yeah. Too, so like, yeah. <laughs> but it was really That's awesome. it was yeah. a great.
0: Gift. That's yeah. awesome. Holiday time. <laughs> uh, so, Tony, switching gears, the DCCC and some leading members of the Democratic Party have said there should be no litmus tests for candidates when it comes to abortion rights. Besides choosing to contribute to individual candidates rather than the party itself, what can we do to ensure reproductive freedom remains a top priority for our elected officials at all levels of government? And how can we make sure abortion rights are not the first thing to be sacrificed at the bargaining table?
3: Mm, I think that one of the most important things to do is to attend uh, Democratic local Democratic Party meetings and to talk about it and to let them know how we feel about it and to and again talking to your representatives and those candidates that are running for office to let them know they cannot take women for granted and that we're not going to put up with this and that we're very unhappy about this we have had contact with the DCCC they're very upset now did a petition when they first came out and they Mm -hmm. said that um, asking our members to to protest and um, giving some um, some suggestions as to you know just donating directly to the candidates and don't donate to the party. They were very upset about that. <laughs> they got a hold of us and they said, please don't do that anymore because we promise you we're not going to do that. Now I'm not saying that we can actually trust their word on that. So yeah. we have to stay on top of them and make sure. The minute that we hear that they're going to do anything like that again, but we have been assured at this point officially that they have, they've um, vetted over uh, 200 candidates and they don't have one that is uh, anti-choice. They're not supporting anybody that's anti-choice. But again, these things change and so it's up to us to stay on top of that.
1: Yeah. You shouldn't accost Tom Perez on the street because I did that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you should. Yes. You absolutely should accost them mm-hmm. on the
3: street, in the grocery stores, yep. or in mm-hmm. the bathrooms, wherever you run into them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Good for you. G Street. Just walk up and down G Street. You'll see Tom Perez. Fair. <laughs> there. All right, so um, this
0: is a question for all the panelists. Uh, how does the lack of women in leadership roles affect reproductive justice, and what should we be doing about it?
3: Well, you know that if we're not at the table, we're on the menu, Yeah, that's what we say. So we just have to be there. I mean, we have all these women running for office and we need to support them and we need to work in there. We need to step up and run ourselves and if, and if we'd rather with them, we need to work in the committees and we need just to make sure because this whole thing, like with sexual harassment and sexual assault, mm-hmm. I think that the tipping point on that was critical mass. When some women finally had the courage to stand up and and name, actually name the people, then that gave the authority and the permission to other women to stand up and do that. So it started to create a critical mass, and that's what we need to make sure. I think we're at that point now. Look at the Virginia, Mm. the results in Virginia, and how many women were elected to office in Virginia. So there you have it.
2: What she said. <laughs> um, so for me, when I think about reproductive justice, I don't I don't necessarily think about the person who is in power. Rather than I think about how are we creating interventions to make sure that folks can actually get the things that they need not only to survive, but to live like their fullest and best lives. Um, but also, how are we centering those folks who may have been left out of the conversation, um, who may not be being thought about in terms of this issue? Um, and how are we really radically shifting power to move, the, move power from um, people who are in power, rather, and put that power back into the people? Um, so thinking about what? what are we creating long term that is actually just rather than um, installing people in places of power that may be symbolic and those people may not do like for example Marsha I would not count Marsha Blackburn as a champion for women like (laughs) (laughs) but she's in power like you know what I mean so focusing more so on the actions that those people who are in power put forth rather than the face of who they are.
3: I would just like to say one thing that may be off-topic, but I want to say it anyway, sure. is that when we're talking about reproductive rights and reproductive justice, that we make sure that we talk about forced sterilization, mm-hmm. that we pay attention to sterilization, um, because there are many minority communities and women of color communities that are sterilized with many times without even their knowledge. And when we're back to the prison Mm -hmm. Uh, women in prison that this happens in certain populations in certain areas of the country and when we're talking about sterilization the the new latest thing and this is all about disrespecting women all the way down the line on everything that we're talking about is that younger women now are asking to be sterilized and their doctors are refusing to do it because doctor knows best And they're too young, and they're going to change their mind later on, and they're going to want to have a family, and they're really having a hard time, not only with male doctors, but female doctors, uh, refusing to provide them with the service that they need. So we have to really, when we're talking about reproductive justice issues, Mm -hmm. we have to remember we're talking about the broad spectrum of Mm -hmm. those issues.
1: Actually, we can can post a link with the pie, but there was just a really good... um, article about the disability community and children who are born with disabilities and whose one. parents um, sterilize them because they, anyway, it's a very good article. We'll post it to the link. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that was a really good, we'll post the link to the pod. It's very interesting.
0: All right, uh, we can open it up for questions from the audience, if anyone has any questions. I know you did. Um, well, you wanna come up here? I was very
5: interested in the uh, issue of helping uh, women in jail unjustly, well, waiting for their hearing and mm-hmm. not having bail. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, I'm glad you mentioned how I can connect with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you yeah, know, I think, and I'm very interested in doing some uh, escorting. Great.
4: The bail issue is a very, very. Um, I guess I can say hot topic in Annapolis. It is something that has been worked on for the last several years, and it will continue to be worked on over the next couple of years, trying to reform our bail system, get rid of cash bail, reform our pretrial system. DC doesn't have cash bail. A number of other states don't have Mm -hmm. cash bail. Federal system doesn't have cash bail. And trying to move to a more predictive system so that you keep people in jail who are a threat to the community, not because they can't pay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is something that is a very active topic here in Maryland mm-hmm. that we are working on. I
5: and mean, as a person in, who's been in the child care field uh, for my career, uh, the effect on, on a child. Mm-hmm. We know what, we've already talked about this regarding men, the absence of men who are in these jails oh, yeah. ever since the Clinton administration because of the drug and their absence and how that's affected family life, let alone a mother.
7: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, I just it's. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's the first time that I've paid any attention
2: mm-hmm.
8: to
5: this and fascinated and mm-hmm. very
2: co- compelled by it. How much is bail? Um, it really It really varies. It really varies, it varies based on the crime,
4: yeah. the mm-hmm. ballparks yes
2: i i don't have those ballparks but just from what i've seen it it really varies i would say it's all too high like it's always too high
8: hundreds or hundreds of thousands like yes
4: yeah the answer is yes
8: Hundreds of thousands.
4: roger do you have an answer to that or a question I, i'm i'm
6: trying to contain myself basically <laughs> on this bail issue uh it's coming back in Maryland. wait
4: roger will you come up here
1: and talk closer to the mic yes please <laughs> and also just while we're transitioning i just saw an article (coughs) with these cute hipster white people who are growing pot and how great it is and there are black women sitting in jail for having Mm -hmm. pot and it's yeah (laughs) yep okay
6: love it love it so i'm sorry this uh, bail issue is coming back this year for for those paying attention the attorney general of the state of maryland brian frosh went to the Rules Committee of the Court of Appeals to try to address the injustice of folks not being able to make bail based on how much money they have. Uh, And the Rules Committee passed a rule. And then the bail bondsmen industry came in to pass legislation to undo that. Mm -hmm. And it narrowly passed the Senate. I, I was among those who voted against it. And then went to the house and it looked like it was sailing through the house. And I think it was on Sunny Die, which is the last day of yeah. session. Mm-hmm. Mike Bush, to his credit, the, the speaker, pulled the plug on it. But they're coming back next year, um, right, to, mm-hmm. to, to try to save their industry. Um, so mm-hmm. I would say stay woke. Uh, <laughs> right. Re- Reverend Sharkman said you gotta be woke. To <laughs> stay, woke but right. stay woke. Yeah, on, on that one, it's a big one. Right.
8: Oh, go the term cash bail is mm-hmm. that different than other different types of bail? I mean, so the they have to pay cash, or they
4: have to right, pay or to they, pay they the have to get price. a bond mm-hmm. that a bail bondsman will pay for them. But then you have to pay the bail bondsman a certain amount plus interest, mm-hmm. and they go after your it's family like paid members. Loan, oh, it's of. it's just yeah. insidious. Yeah, there
6: there are people in jail because they couldn't come up with. Hundreds of dollars, two hundred fifty dollars, sitting in right. jail for weeks or months, mm-hmm. right? Because they couldn't, their families and yeah. they could not come up with that that, that money. I so would people who have, mm-hmm. you know, right. are, 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 have not been found guilty of anything, mm-hmm. right, they're sitting in jail yeah. Right. And I would. To,
2: um, oh, oh, go ahead. I would suggest that people look up the story of Khalif Browder, who was a young black mm-hmm. man um, who was held in Rikers Island for about five years on cash bail for about five hundred dollars. Exactly. He just couldn't make the bail.
4: Mm -hmm. Well, and going to your question in terms of um, how much the bail is, it is also affected by a person's record. And given our systemic racism, people of color are arrested more and thrown in jail more and thrown in jail longer, so they're more likely to have more of a record. So they're more likely to get a higher bail. And that just snowballs because then there are the family problems, then they're going to lose their job because they're held in jail and they can't get out. And then there's a fee associated with that. When you're in jail, there's a housing fee. So it just snowballs. So we've got we have to, to attack this.
7: Yeah.
6: And with, with, with bail, is it correct that if you are wealthy, you can pay your own bail and you show up in court, and you get that money back, correct? The bail is just bail? your guarantee. Well, a bail bondsman will keep your money. But if you are independently wealthy, you can pay your own bail, show up to court, you get your money back, right?
4: I believe you don't get all of it back. I think there's a certain portion that goes to the court cost. Am I correct?
6: I think that's right. Yeah. But then if you're poor and you're faced with $20,000 bail or pay a bail bond, spend $5,000 and get out, you don't get that $5,000 back. You're, no, you do not. Gone. You're out that. So you're you're left with a decision which is long-term financially worse. But you can't make twenty thousand. You might be able to do the five thousand.
5: Even Mike Flynn just got out. He he put his three <laughs> three estates in. Uh, you know, that on, 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 they're holding this is three different estates, and he put some money into it, and he's out. <laughs> he doesn't have shackles anymore in his house. I mean, yeah. look what he did. Yeah. This is outrageous.
1: It is. And Jenny Rose. So question. Can I come closer? Sorry.
5: You only want to make-
1: I want so, you to hear. I know. So my question is. Um, <laughs> so I know there are places like the D.C. Abortion Fund where if uh, low-income women need an abortion, they can go and that can help them. But what about, I What can we do to help women, low-income women, for access to birth control?
7: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a friend of mine who couldn't make it tonight. That was her question. Like, we're we live in a blue state. We're pro-choice. Like we don't have a lot of restrictions on birth control. But if you can't afford it, that's, that's a big restriction. So mm-hmm. it's like you don't even have the choice. So what can we do to help those situations?
4: Fight against the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you know, fight yeah. in Maryland. So we yeah. actually, in Maryland, passed last year um, contraceptive equity. Mm-hmm. So ensuring that women have access to um, no-cost birth control. Mm-hmm. So if you want to speak more to that as well, but it's it's important to keep that in front of your state officials as well as keep pushing against the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah,
3: and I, you know, the one thing that we haven't talked about tonight is the egregious uh, RIFRA laws, so the Religious Freedom right. Uh, right. Acts. And so we have to really start talking about that and pushing back because what about the woman's? religious beliefs mm-hmm. what about the woman's moral conscience mm-hmm. i mean this is just wrong and we have to really start calling everybody out on this it's not okay that religion is being used to discriminate and in ever so many ways mm-hmm. you know on um, birth control um uh, lesbian gl uh lesbian gay by trans rights um it's not okay what's going on and, and racial discrimination, I mean, that will start coming back if it's not, you know, it's just everything, all of the civil rights laws. The, these religious exemptions are to do away with our basic civil rights laws. That's what we're talking about here. And we've got to start speaking out against that.
0: Yeah. So I have another question. <laughs> um, what can we do to stop or help stop uh, the slashing of reproductive rights in seemingly unrelated bills, such as oh, the tax bill, where until the last second uh, they had language in there about unborn children. Mm-hmm. Um, call, college, call them
1: college
4: plans for yeah Yeah, 529 plans <laughs> for fetuses. yeah. Yeah. not know what was in it
3: well what about what, what about when mm-hmm. when conception starts
2: yeah yeah um who knows
3: when conception starts? Yeah.
2: Yeah. uh call them on it read right the now. bills <laughs> <laughs> add public comment um we are actually releasing an alert on monday because for the birth control rules those are also about to come up and the public comment period is still open and i don't think anybody has like done that Um, Mm -hmm. So like there are organizations like we will write a script for you, Um, National Women's Law Center will write a script for you, Physicians for Reproductive Health will write a script for you, so you don't even really have to like think about it. All you just have to do is like plug it into um, the little box and they'll get the comment. Um, but I, yeah, I think public comment is a really, like just coming from North Carolina and seeing the ways that people sneak through like really terrible things in bills. Like why do you have an abortion ban and a motorcycle healthy, like health and safety bill? Like that makes no sense. Right. But we didn't know that until we had read the bill and we've been like, Hey, this thing is in this bill that doesn't need to be here. And then we could mobilize people around organizing to get that taken out and to make sure that it doesn't pass in the final version. So like always always take an opportunity to tell someone how you feel about something always do the public comment
3: yeah and listen I know and I think that it's in our handouts but it won't be the next time it it, it's best if you can go in person it's best if you can write a personal letter but you know what if you don't have the time for that hit the send button even if it's the exact same letter that everybody else sent it does matter Mm -hmm. they do have software in the Congress that pays attention to all of those emails that come through that are by rote, Mm -hmm. and they do make Mm -hmm. a difference. So if you can't do anything else, don't feel bad about it, don't feel guilty, just hit the send button. Mm -hmm. And or do the, pu- the public yeah. comments for federal mm-hmm. regula- registration. Mm-hmm. That's really a good and thing. And even
2: with, like, calling, right? Like, oftentimes there's, like, one person banning the phones, right? And if the phone is ringing off the hook, that person is going to be like, okay, oh, my God, like, we have to do something now. Like, this is the time, I think, where it's, like, totally cool for you to be a little annoying when you're an organizer. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> just make people mad. Like, just continue to show up until they're like, fine, like, what do you want? Like, mm-hmm. there's there's beauty in the persistence.
5: Yeah. Can you speak a little more about this generalization? Because I heard what you were saying is both sides of it is an issue, right? Right. And right. is it part of any of the bills listed here? What,
3: no. No. Uh, not as far as I know. I don't, I don't know if anybody else knows. It's just, it's just common. And, you know, this, this thing about, I mean, I myself... Uh, had have, have a personal story about being. I needed to be sterilized because of uh, after the birth of my daughter. I was uh, had uh, my pap smear. You know the six week pap smear that comes back. Well, it came back, and I was on my way to uterine cancer. Mm-hmm. So I needed to have a hysterectomy. But my doctor wouldn't give me a hysterectomy, <sighs> sterilization, because. I was only 26 years old, and I only just had one child, and we would probably change our mind. And um, so he forced me, and this was, you know, back in the day, and he forced me into having some procedures that I really didn't want to have, but I was really worried about the cancer getting, getting worse, you know, the, the real threat of it. And so I submitted to this cryosurgery stuff that made me very, very ill mm. and did nothing in the end. So finally, my grandmother, I was in Florida and she was in Ohio, and she said, I'm coming on a plane make an appointment with your doctor, I want to see him. So I did, and yeah, my grandma. And so I, I actually, I. So we went in to see him. And she asked him, the very first thing she asked him is what religion are you? Mm -hmm. And he said he was Catholic. Mm -hmm. And the next thing that she asked him was how many children did he have? Mm -hmm. And he had 12.
7: Mm -hmm.
3: And my grandmother said, come on, honey, we're gonna find you a nice Jewish doctor. (laughs) And we left and we did and I had got my hysterectomy.
1: What a grandma! Yes, yeah, she was
3: fabulous. My grandma was fabulous. Yeah, she was just like she was over it. Well, my aunt told me, you know, when I was first pregnant, said to me, and this was decades ago. She said, "Honey, they treat women like cows when mm. you go to when you go to give birth. So just be prepared for that. Here are some of the things that you should do to protect yourself." Oh my gosh! So. I don't think that things have changed that month much. I mean, when we talk about sterilization and the complete disregard of women and women's happiness, mm-hmm. let's all start talking and demanding our happiness. Yes. That's written in our constitution that we have the right to pursuit of happiness. Yes, and we should use that. Yes, when we're talking about women.
1: Well, I
5: have a friend whose child is um, disabled in some range of autism and. She's fearful that her interest in sexuality is over the top right now. And so she's struggling with that issue. So I I wondered what kind of guidance there might be for her in figuring out um, how to handle whether she should try to promote sterilization at this age for her. I think the daughter might be able to make a decision,
3: but- But there's really good long-term birth control. I mean, she could go to something like that, um, and, you know, they, Deprovera, I mean, I don't know if that is still approved, yeah, but, right. you know, that's yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I would think that she would, like, maybe go down that road, but probably she should see a medical, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. professional and, and talk to them about it.
4: And, and there are a lot of organizations, um, support systems for people who are on the spectrum of autism, so reach out to some of those, find out how they help. Mm -hmm. people with autism deal with these emotions and feelings that they have
3: Uh, you can bet that no doctor is going to talk a man out of getting viagra Mm -hmm. oh that's for sure
4: yeah and if
3: a man wants to get a vasectomy i've never heard of a case where Mm -hmm. i mean maybe there are a few but you never hear about oh they were denied Mm -hmm. i bet you catholic hospitals don't do that Oh well, probably they don't. Yeah, Georgetown don't definitely doesn't. But you can you can go somewhere and get. Yeah, yeah, you can. You yeah. don't have doctors saying, "Oh, you might want to have children later on. Yeah. Maybe you should rethink yeah. this." To You're the also man. Of all.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, some so. of them are. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes.
9: Um, so my name is Lily. I'm an RJ activist from Babersburg. Um, So I actually helps to organize Summer of Trust, welcoming Dr. Carhart into. Mm-hmm. German great.
1: Oh, great! Yeah. Oh, cool yeah, yeah. You, will you, you come 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 me, will you, you come up here if the mic's not picking you up okay well. you can sit right in my seat oh, sure you <laughs> should reintroduce yourself <laughs> yeah so, so, um
9: sorry. lily valorian um, i'm an rj activist i also work for david blair's campaign for county executive but that's separate to this um so um i hope okay. to bring in dr carhart back in 2011 um and and while i totally agree that we're a super blue county for the most part and we have pretty good competent leaders they were somehow successful in forcing out our provider from our community mm-hmm. and forced them into Bethesda. Mm-hmm. And um, so I live up county, and that was a really great to have that clinic there. It was mm-hmm. awesome. But that is obviously a little bit less accessible to people who live over there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess my concern is that if they were able to do that to him once, I'm concerned they can do it again. Mm -hmm. And obviously the county council has not acted on this. So is there anything that you all think that local government could do to protect that clinic and other Mm -hmm. clinics in the county?
2: So D.C. just put up something in the council that was specifically around protecting abortion providers. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I think reading the text of that bill and seeing how it could be applied to Maryland, it could be pretty useful because the stuff that they were doing to the car, uh, the stuff they've been doing to the car hearts yeah. is like stuff that I haven't, I haven't seen further, um, further north. I've really only seen it further south, um, and I think with the way things are going now. Um, that can only, like, increase, right? So, like, the way is that they are, um, it's not so innocuous as them, like, going and protesting out in front of the clinic as it is, like, flyering the neighborhood and being, like, do you know that an abortion provider lives in this neighborhood? Or with what they were doing at Two Rivers Charter School in D.C., where they were tell- telling the, the kindergartners, like, go tell your ch- go tell your parents that these people kill babies next door. Like, things like, yeah, yeah, things like that that like really disrupt and like harm a community, right? Like it's not it's not so much about them targeting this one person as it is that they are targeting the entire community to turn the community against this person and use that power to push that person out. So for us to be able to show our support for Dr. Carhart, um, who does very controversial procedures for a lot of people, a lot of people have issues with later term abortions, mm-hmm. Um, but making making it known that, but the, you know, the Bethesda community supports Dr. Carhart. The Bethesda community sees this service as a necessary good, as a social good, and we are going to support this provider um, through different means, like through the legislative process, through escorting and volunteering, through making sure that they have all the things that they need to be able to operate this service is something that's really important.
4: Mm-hmm. I also reach out to the... I'm sorry, <clears throat>
8: did, did I hear that? It was actually anti-choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
9: Right. Mm-hmm. yeah after good. years of harassing the original property owners and going mm-hmm. to their mid- the the middle, the school. school, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, mm-hmm. but the council, for example, didn't do anything about that, and they actually were um, when when Dr. Carhart's um, lease was. Polls. Um, they all were shocked that there was any harassment at all towards mm-hmm. Dr. Har- Carhart. They tried to act like they didn't know. And I mm-hmm. said, I don't know how that's literally possible. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's the so, doctor's so, three years. Like, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it's obviously we have, and then you know we see we're pe- we see people like Operation Rescue, like really extremist organizations, mm-hmm. paying close attention to this doctor. Mm-hmm. So I'm like keenly concerned about him, and also concerned about why the government is not concerned at all. Mm-hmm. So that's what um part of um what i want to do is make sure that the county council is aware and Mm -hmm. you go ahead
4: so i just to jump into that make the county council aware okay everybody needs to call them and say did you know did you know did you know we want you to do this there are 40 people running for county council right now talk to every single one of them let them know i mean jennifer can can point you in the right direction you know mcd make mcdc see Montgomery County Democratic Central Committee. Make them aware of what's going on. I mean, let your elected officials know. This is really important. I'm so glad I came. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna, we are cute. Okay, I'll go back to you. I was going you. Montgomery County yeah. Democratic Party has meetings the second Tuesday of every month um, at 7.30 p.m. Uh, 3720 Farragut Avenue in Kensington. And it is a public meeting and they encourage anybody to show up in the audience and that is
1: actually a great way for advocates of any issue to be known. You get your name on the list, you get a shout out at the beginning and you can watch the entire meeting,
8: figure out what's going on. Okay, what is this, the Democratic, uh, the Democratic? Party.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I was gonna interject
1: to, to, comes. Th-
0: for, uh, to say that um, we're talking about the doctor, we're talking about um he was at one of i believe three clinics in the nation that yes. regularly perform
2: late-term mm-hmm. abortions the next one is in colorado is, yeah
0: so the, the only one, one, one on Mexico. the yeah the only one anywhere near here people from other states would come to the gaithersburg clinic to have their uh procedures done um one of three that did it regularly in the in the nation
3: so. yeah and i don't consider it controversial i just mm-hmm. want to be yeah. Not really, it's, not, yeah, it's not. It's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, it's health mm-hmm.
2: But I think in squaring that, like the general, I like this is where it's hard. Like, it's not controversial for people to want to do things with their bodies. Like, it's not controversial if I choose to eat twenty seven boxes of Krispy Kreme. It's my body and it's my money. Um, but people, I do have to square the fact that people have feelings about it. Um, so while I don't personally believe later-term abortion is something that is controversial, I think if if I was pregnant and I got to a a point in my pregnancy where it was either dangerous for me to continue this pregnancy or I had to have someone telling me, no, you have to continue this pregnancy, I would put my own health first, right? But I, knowing that when I go out and talk to people about these things, that that is the main thing that comes up is like, well, later term abortions or these um, abortions past 24 weeks. And I think really it's incumbent upon us as people who know that like, a lot of these like terms that come up, like later-term abortions or dilation and extraction abortions, are very um, like very dog whistle and very insidi- used very insidiously for a very insidious purpose. It's incumbent upon us to translate that to the general public, right? Of like, do you know what a d abortion is? Do you know? that people, when they make this decision, have you ever talked to someone that has had to make this decision? Have you read a personal testimony of someone who, ha- who has had to make this decision? And knowing that it's something that people aren't entering into lightly. Um, and
5: I think can, that's exactly that the, it. People think that you can at nine months just the yes. side. Oh my god. Yeah.
7: Right.
4: I know. <laughs> right. And, and that like is like my that's not people. how that works. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was going to say that's exactly what I was going to say is that it's letting people know what the facts really are. I mean, mm-hmm. I go back to the the PBA debate on the hill when a bishop got up mm-hmm. and talked about this woman or this young girl who was 9 months pregnant and she couldn't fit into her prom dress so wanted an abortion. Later said that actually didn't happen but that sticks in people's minds so to let people know yeah. never even this happened. is what really awesome, <laughs> goes on this is why women make these difficult decisions no one wakes up and says oh i don't want to be pregnant today that doesn't happen mm-hmm. so breaking through that alternative reality those yeah. alternative yeah, facts a really those good, fake facts
3: yes. good thing to, to educate on and and some sometimes it has to do with the um with the fetus, the fetus itself, that it right. you know, that it's so harmful and painful for the fetus itself and it's mm-hmm. the best thing to abort. So who are these people? Who are these time people? we
8: say third term abortion, you know, we should, or late term, we should, uh, you know, make it not controversial. explain, it's not something the woman wants. She wants the baby, but mm-hmm. she's, you know, it's gonna affect her health or her life or the most of the time the fetus is but well, sometimes the, the, the fetus painful? is
3: dead inside her body, and it must be removed.
8: Yes. And so there should be no controversy. They need to understand that these, uh, you know, are serious situations, and yeah. the woman usually wants the baby. Right? Mm-hmm. Is there such a thing as a fact sheet that blows apart all these myths that we can share? There's a ton. Yeah.
7: Yeah. yeah. There are. Yeah, so Maryland, National and Maryland or Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
8: So,
2: you know, uh huh. So, especially
8: because I know I know several women who, um, even after abortion became legal, they had DNCs in their doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Because what was okay, and that was covered by insurance. But there's thousands of women that have DNCs every year, but they're really abortion. So, mm-hmm. anyway, there's all kinds of ways to get around it if you have money. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah, if you you have money. money. Mm So I'm just thinking that all those kinds of things most people have no idea. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So National NARAL and mm -hmm. NARAL Maryland have
2: a lot of fact sheets. Planned Parenthood. There are some on Planned Parenthood uh, Federation of America's website. Um, National NARAL has fact sheets. We have fact sheets on our website at www.prochoicemd.org. Um, who else? All Above All which is a state-based coalition of um, reproductive justice organizations that are really doing a lot of work around the Hyde Amendment which bars um, Medicaid recipients Mm -hmm. from being able to use their funds for abortion access has a lot of different fact sheets on stuff as well and Rewire is a really great news source and they also have like a legislative tracker and like a glossary of like terms, organizations, major players that you should know it's very very extensive. Mm
7: -hmm. I'm curious
5: um the, has there been an increase in the number of protests around the uh, abortion uh, facilities? Uh, because in the '70s, I don't recall that. I, I don't remember it started when the uh, when the legislation first got passed.
8: It started in what? the '80s, ah, mm-hmm. really, right. mid '80s is yeah. when we started escorting in Louisville, Kentucky. But Ooh, they Operation
1: yeah. <laughs> Sorry, She's Sorry too, I was just too, too amazed by your.
6: What's
2: going on yeah. now? Yeah. And it we're some worse people. Yeah. Buffer zones. Yeah, it,
3: it was horrible. horrible. Yes. Yeah. That was yeah. the clinic where we
8: escorted in the. Well, good friends with the executive director. She's retired. But uh, we have a mini Trump governor there mm-hmm. in uh the, Yeah, he sounds uh, like a real piece of work. It's about the transfer agreement between. Mm-hmm. Good
7: enough, you know,
8: worried about getting
3: a woman to the hospital mm-hmm. Yeah, Um I think they'll be all right. But uh, Well the Webster decision came down in eighty nine and that was the first oh, decision yeah. that really limited a woman's right. Um and and they really escalated at that time when that decision came out. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. with the, yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. the horrible stuff that oh, they were yeah. doing around the clinics yeah. Yeah. and the murders of the doctors, the murder of the escort in Pensacola. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. yeah the the, water, the murder in Buffalo. I mean, yeah, they've murdered a lot of doctors. Kansas. I guess Tony,
5: do you want to? I haven't, you know, huh? it seems to be under the radar to some extent, oh. but sitting here
8: today, it's not under
5: the Yeah, radar. I take it for granted, William,
0: mm-hmm. Tony, do you want to explain, sorry.
8: Planned Parenthood in DC, every Saturday you can see a show.
3: Do you want to
0: explain what the Webster decision is for those who don't know?
3: Oh, listen, this is really, you know this guy that um, owns Carl's Jr., which is a hamburger Mm -hmm. place, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he was up for an appointment with Trump? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that he was a lawyer. And he was in. um, So Webster came out of Missouri. He was he was a Missouri attorney, and he actually wrote the first restriction himself when he was an attorney in Missouri. And I didn't know that until it came out because Trump had appointed him to a position. Um, So he was he was the Mm -hmm. real villain, and. I'm sorry. What was the question? What yes. it like is Webster? Webster oh, what is so? Webster was. I don't know any more than it was the first decision that came out. It's why I joined now. It's mm-hmm. so, it's what activated me because it was the first decision that limited a woman's right to abortion. But I don't remember exactly. Do you remember?
4: No, <laughs> and I should. Yeah, um, I can tell you about Casey and how Casey oh, changed. Casey, yeah, a lot. Well, tell us um, about Casey. Well, it. That's a um, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, the DCCC, Bob Casey was, um, <coughs> Excuse me. Is he governor back then? Yes. I believe he was governor of Pennsylvania. And he is anti-choice. And yes. I stopped donating to the Democratic Central Senatorial right. Central Committee because they supported Bob Casey. Right. Um, but, so in Casey, the court changed the way it viewed abortion restrictions and said, well, some of them are okay. As long as they don't put an undue burden on a woman accessing a right to choose. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the things that had been struck down before waiting periods, um, some of these ugly consent things Mm -hmm. were upheld. The only Mm -hmm. one they struck down in, in Casey was the spousal consent. Um, and they upheld a lot of the other ones. And that really opened the floodgates for what we call the trap laws, mm-hmm. targeted restrictions on abortion providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are usually ridiculous. worse in the South. Yeah. I mean, to the South, it's not only the width of the hallway, mm-hmm. but it's the height of the grass. How mm-hmm. many water fountains you have, how many parking spaces, right. like mm-hmm. right. buying I mean, medicine,
2: medicine that you might not ever prescribe. Right, well, it's parental really...
7: Parental consent. Yeah.
2: The
8: judiciary, we mm-hmm. have that in Mm-hmm. an option to go before a judge mm-hmm. if you want to talk to your
2: parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even like the waiting. state mandated script, mm-hmm. like. Right.
1: These are people who hate regulations. So it's Webster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, hate, crazy yeah. how people you hate big like government. government. Yeah, they, yeah, they like small government <laughs> until yeah. women are see Yeah. 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 <laughs> so
3: it's Webster versus Reproductive Health Services. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And um, so it was the Supreme Court decision on upholding a Missouri law that imposed restrictions on the use of state funds, facilities, oh gosh, my computer, <laughs> my, my, it Web- was 1989, wow. yeah, and um, the Supreme Court in, in Webster allowed for states to legislate in an aspect that had been previously thought to be forbidden under Roe versus Wade. So it was, they are allowed to impose restrictions on the use of state funds, facilities, and employees in performing, assisting with, or counseling on abortions. Like
8: public university
3: hospitals. So Missouri imposed restrictions on the use of of that, and they upheld it. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing, listen, I want to talk about this just briefly. I think that it's really important that we start understanding, and myself included, uh, about this legal concept of a reasonable man in law. And I think that we, I'm sure that we have to work to change um, what's going on in the courts and in court decisions that they take into consideration what a reasonable man would do in this situation, and they uh, actually make rulings based on that. I think it's very clear to all of us now that with the uh, uh, sexual assault that's coming out and sexual harassment that's coming out, that reasonable women have a different point of view Mm. than these men who say, oh, I didn't know this was wrong, Mm -hmm. or this is okay. Uh, Because so many of these cases on rape and violence against women, The judges are making decision using the reasonable man theory. Oh, a reasonable man would beat his wife.
7: Mm.
3: Or a reasonable man would lose his temper and shoot her and him. And we have to start becoming aware of that in law, and we have to start establishing a reasonable woman's point of view Mm -hmm. because certainly we have not been considered. Um, And it's the same thing like it's outrageous to me i mean in the supreme court decision it was that there could not be placed an undue burden on the woman when she sought an abortion well that's all we're seeing is undue burdens Mm -hmm. on women so why isn't that being used and enforced in the law we have to start really making more than noise about Mm
7: -hmm.
3: this
7: Um,
0: so, Sarah, you were involved in a, another case um, that Now was also involved in. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Um,
4: give an intro on...
0: Sure. Um,
4: so, it started when Patricia Ireland was the head of Now in the early 80s. And it's called Now versus Scheidler. Oh, yeah. And it was a nationwide case against Joe Scheidler and Randall Terry and Operation Rescue. And... Um, and it was brought under the racketeering laws. And I was an attorney on that case, and we went to trial, it was a seven week long case. And what we presented to the court was that all of these groups and all of these organizations worked with this, they were part of this umbrella group, the Pro-Life Action Network, which was the kingpin. It was the head of the, the racketeering operation. And through that organization, they went out around the country and used threats and force and violence to close clinics and to prevent women from accessing health care. Um, it was a fantastic case. We won at trial. Um, funny little anecdote. Um, I don't know if many of you remember Henry Hyde, who was a representative from Illinois. Hyde Amendment, I mean, that Henry I mean, Hyde. I mean, yeah. um, he came in and testified on Joe Scheidler's behalf, which was completely irrelevant But we all called it the Henry Hyde exception to the (laughs) rules of evidence, because he was Henry Hyde, so he could just walk in and testify. Um, That case went to the Supreme Court three times. Um, And unfortunately, the third time, we lost. And they went at it on First Amendment grounds, which we didn't agree with, because it wasn't a First Amendment issue. We were talking about threats and force and violence. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, in the end, 15. 15 years later, I think. I don't remember how long, 20 years later. It was a really, really long case. Um, but that case was brought before the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. So that case began to stop those massive blockades. It had a real impact around the country in highlighting those blockades, stopping those blockades. Then FACE came and helped to stop the blockades and. Um, buffer zones so we see less of those massive blockades people you know putting glue in the locks of the clinic doors and then you know hundreds of people blockading the clinics we don't see that as much anymore and and those three elements are i think why we don't yeah i
3: do too mm-hmm. when i was doing uh of a, a escorting they were chaining themselves to the the clinic door so that the the clinics couldn't stay open. Mm -hmm. Um, We did an action, our chapters did in the Tampa Bay area, and so it was during one of these 40 nights of whatever they call them. So... this is back in the day we didn't have cell phones, so we we rented walkie-talkies <laughs> and then we didn't know which clinic they, they were going to hit, but we knew they were having going to have a massive hit and we knew that they were meeting the churches were organizing at the Catholic churches and it was in a they were going to organize in this at four in the morning in the at, in this parking lot, this big parking lot. So we had two of our members who I don't know why, but they chose to wear red sweaters. I think that made them feel, you know, invincible and Mm -hmm. and and felt like they were one of them and so they had their walkie-talkie and they went in to the parking lot to find out where they were and we were stationed at all the clinics around the tampa bay area our chapter members with our walkie-talkies and we had people in cars and so they found out where they were going to hit and they got to their car and they got on the walkie-talkies and they told us and we had our walkie talkies and we were ready to deploy more people to then we moved everybody to those clinics from all the different clinics where we were and we got there before we did and we kept the clinic doors open. Yeah. But that's the kind of action we had to take. Yeah. You know, we took an entire now board meeting and moved it from Clearwater, Florida two weeks prior to the board meeting to buffalo new york in the dead of the winter i have to say (laughs) being from florida it was really hard on me that we had to go to buffalo new york and again we were up at 4 a.m in the morning to keep the doors open Mm -hmm. so i hope we never have to well they're just closing the doors in other ways now because we've you know we worked really hard on all of this Legislation and the work that you all did, and thank you so much mm-hmm. for your work on that. Thank that was fabulous. Yeah, all of us. Thank all of Actually, us. Actually,
1: thank all three of you because mm-hmm. you're so interesting and knowledgeable and inspiring. And I'm, I just overwhelmed by the fact that we got to sit here and I got to sit right up in the front <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. listen to you talk about this. It was amazing. Thank you guys for doing this. Well, thank, thank you me. all for coming. Yeah, yeah. Was great. you're hosting us. Yeah. 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 yeah.
4: Uh,
0: you'll be able to uh, listen to the audio from this, as Alyssa mentioned, on our podcast. It's called 52 Women. Um, you can get it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen on our website. Our website is MC for Montgomery County, MD for Maryland, now for National Organization for Women. Um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also at MCMDnow. And if you're not yet a member of our chapter, you can join on our website, MCMDnow.org, slash join. So... Please do that, and thank you again to uh, yeah. Tony, Chelsea, and Sarah, and Alyssa and Alyssa. Oh, thank, thank you, you for yeah. coming.
7: You're not thank you.